AARP Indiana, an information resource for Hoosiers about the CARE Act, providing support for caregivers when their loved one enters and leaves the hospital. More at action.aarp.org slash card. The new lieutenant governor. Will we ever know the real reason for the switch? A court ruling against the governor and in favor of Syrian refugees. The latest effort to save carrier jobs and a plan to get Indiana more involved in presidential politics. That plus Papa John's Ball State donation and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 4, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, former state GOP chairman Eric Holcomb was sworn in as lieutenant governor. In an unprecedented move, Holcomb will become the new running mate for Governor Mike Pence in November. In his inaugural address, Holcomb talked about his love for Indiana. Past work assignments have taken me to Madrid and Jerusalem and Beijing. But as Dorothy said, there is no place like home. Does putting Eric Holcomb on the ticket improve the odds that Mike Pence will be reelected? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel, Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shella. Ann Delaney, was this move motivated by anything other than politics? Uh, no. I mean, he forced out an elected, qualified, apparently well-regarded woman lieutenant governor. And then with Becky Skillman, Mitch Daniels' lieutenant governor, sitting there, he said that, this, that Eric Holcomb was supposed to be the most qualified lieutenant governor ever. It depends, I suppose, on what the qualifications are. If it's to be the attack man for the campaign, he's clearly the most qualified candidate ever. And that's what his role is going to be. But in terms of economic development or furthering the state's agenda, no thanks. But it's Matt Mitch, and it's uh, Mike uh, Pence's agenda that's political <laughs> agenda that counts, apparently. Before that ceremony took place, both the House and the Senate had to confirm Mike Pence's nomination of Eric Holcomb. The vote was 91 to 3 in the House. It was unanimous in the Senate, but in the Senate, uh, Tim Lannan said that there are still questions about this and, and suggested that it was entirely political. Is he wrong? Yes, he is wrong, and Ann's wrong. Uh, the governor did not force anybody out of the lieutenant governor's job. Uh, Sue Elsperman wanted to uh, go after the Ivy Tech job. Uh, she's passionate about workforce development. She saw this as the number one thing that's on the mind of business leaders around the state. She heard it over and over and over again in her four years as lieutenant governor, and she wanted very much to have that job. And so she approached the governor and told him so. So 
Uh, he said he supported that, and uh, so that's what it is. What it is is what it is. Uh, and Eric Holcomb is a tremendous pick for the, for the governor uh, for a lot of reasons. One, first of all, if you're going to pick a lieutenant governor, you have to pick somebody that's qualified to be governor, and he's clearly that. Uh, you have to pick somebody that you know is going to do the job and work at it hard. He brings that to the table, unbounded energy. And so uh, it's going to be he's, he's a tremendous pick. He's a listener. He's a guy who will bring people together. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he will. And that's what he's known for. That's he's done it over and over. Yes, he is. And well, he's, he's done it over and over and over again. Well, he's, he's uh, been in politics for a long time. He worked for Congressman John Hostetler, who was far to the right. He worked for Mitch Daniels, who was much more moderate. Um, he's been state GOP chairman and had to deal with everybody. I mean, what the Democrats are suggesting is that he'll be whatever you want him to be. Duh. Is, is, well, is that inaccurate? Uh, probably a little bit inaccurate, but that's what you would expect the, the opposing party to, to say. Uh, I think what in, about in, what Bill Osterley said? Some the, would say that's the, the opposing greatest, party. The greatest <laughs> betrayal in political history when he changed his position on LGBT rights. I think what the, I don't know what's in Mike Pence's head, but uh, he is, I think, getting somebody with uh, clearly good political credentials as has been pointed out here uh, for the, uh, the people for whom he has worked. And as a state party chair, and, and both Ann and Mike can attest to this as former chairs themselves, you, that is the epitome of grassroots organization and, and, and contacts. And that was not that long ago that he held that position. So uh, one would think that that would serve him well and the ties to, to, uh, to Mitch Daniels and that wing of the party. But on the flip side, when you look at if there is a weakness that the party generally has, the Republican Party, as Ann points out time and time again, it's the, the, as she puts it, the war on women or the perception as advanced by Democrats of the war on women. So uh, just from, a, uh, just from the, yeah, I mean, the, the appearance of The last of it, three lieutenant governors have been women. Have been women. Right. All Republicans are the last the only, no, oh, Kathy oh, Davis. Two, 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 Kathy Davis. The last two elected lieutenant governors. The only point oh, right. here is I think he's incredibly qualified. It's right. just... It's a surprise but, to me that you wouldn't but, go with a, another woman. That's so does this make it, uh, I, I've heard it suggested that John Gregg can now pick whomever he wants uh, to be his running mate. You know, I think he could have done that before, um, and he will. I think he needs to uh, find someone who is eminently qualified. He needs to find one who's got the resume that Sue Elsperman had and the political tendencies and uh, uh, political power that uh, Eric Holcomb brings. And, you know, that's a tall order, but he can do that, and it's a, it's a sharp contrast. So it'll be interesting to see who he comes up with, but I think we'll know pretty soon. All right, still with this, Sue Elsperman says she left office as lieutenant governor to pursue the job as president of Ivy Tech. She presided over the state senate for the final time this week, but she also uh, took time out to be honored in the House of Representatives, where she began her political career. The House Speaker called her departure bittersweet, and members of both parties paid tribute to her service. Here is Wendy McNamara, followed by Sheila Klinker. Her enthusiasm, her steadfastness, um, her integrity and reliability um, will generally be missed in these hallways. Leaving one job leads to another, and we certainly hope that uh, you receive your dream job. So I am very much looking forward to the next phase in life. I think God opens doors, puts those in front of you, and our job is to say yes and go through them. All right, and that's Elsperman, Mike McDaniel. What if she doesn't get the Ivy Tech job? 
then she'll be looking for something else to do, I guess. It's one of those things where Which raises she's questions not going to have about a, the timing here. Well, you know? I mean, look, uh, she, she said, I asked her one day point blank in the hallway, I said, you know, what are you going to do? Because there's a gap between the time they're going to actually make the final selection to it's gonna the be time you're going to resign. It sounds like, yeah. and, and she said, look, I'm going to go on vacation. She said, I got family, I got a daughter in Kentucky, I got a new grandbaby. I'm going to go spend time with them and do the things that I haven't been able to do because I've been so busy. So uh, she she will she would not have a problem finding something pr- pretty powerful to do because she isn't a person of, of as I said balanced energy and uh, somebody who really is focused and well liked. I think is, is evident by the responses she received in both the House and the Senate uh, as she was leaving the building. So. Uh, she did a great job as lieutenant governor, and this is something she wants to do. I think she'll end up with that job. And you know what? I think she's going to be a great president of Ivy Tech when she gets that job because that's a huge operation. Okay. And she brings to it but, what it needs to have. But the the reason, the stated reason for doing this now was so that there wouldn't have to be a special session of the General Assembly. Right. Nonsense. It took the General no, Assembly. It took the General nonsense. Assembly about twenty minutes to accomplish it, this. It's it's not. It, it is nonsense. She could have stayed in the position for the rest of her elected term. He could have picked somebody else to run with. If he hasn't guaranteed her the Ivy Tech job, shame on him, because he's forced her out because of her LGBT position, and as a result of that, we don't at know least that. Owes Wait a yeah, we do know that. And who was not there yesterday when he was you're sworn suggesting in? the governor guarantees that? Well, he has the appointments, Mike. I know, but you're suggesting that the governor guarantees something that he can't guarantee? Oh, if he can't guarantee it, Mike, give me a break. There's a political argument for doing what he did. There's a political argument for doing what he did. Yeah, because you're saying that he decides all of that. And and, and any other time you'd be arguing that he's handpicking the person. You're not letting the people decide who's supposed to decide. He has handpicked the people that will pick her. And he better pick her after forcing her out as lieutenant governor. John, we we all thought when this was first announced and and planned, it, it, it appeared a little odd. Sure. Now that it's played out, does it appear any less odd? No, it appears as what it did. It, it did seem odd. Uh, for many of the reasons that Ann stated, um, it didn't take long. It would have been a short special session if need be. Um, this was a reason to do that way, you know, get it done during the session. So um, it is odd, Jim. It, it really is. Um, she is incredibly qualified. Uh, I was talking with some people this week, and we were talking about the fact that she was so well qualified, and this person said, I have not heard anyone say anything other than that. And it's true. Um, I think if she doesn't get the job, then that's not, it's too bad for Ivy Tech because Ivy Tech is critical to the future for Indiana in terms of its economic development. It needs to be the critical mass institution that helps people bridge from, from school to workforce, and she could do that. But if she doesn't get the job, it'll be, one, politically a black mark, I think, on the governor because he did appoint all of those folks, and he does have incredible sway. And, two, she'll find another job. I just hope it's in Indiana. <laughs> and that's why I do think this is, if not a lock, certainly she would be have to be considered the not just the front runner, but a front runner with a halo and some asterisks and uh, everything else shining on her uh, because... There's just too much now invested in her on the part of the governor's office and so forth. That would be quite an embarrassment and a slap. Uh, and even though, if you look at it on paper, the governor does not pick it, in the real world, um, I think he, uh, he certainly uh, can does. be a, an ar- a bit of an arm twister and, and probably get his way in this. 
Moving on. A federal judge said this week that an order by the governor that blocked state agencies from helping Syrian refugees resettle in Indiana is discrimination. U.S. District Judge Tanya Walton-Pratt said the governor's order, quote, clearly discriminates against Syrian refugees based on their national origin. That ruling was requested by Exodus Refugee Immigration, John Ketzenberger, the governor plans to appeal. Will he have more success in the Seventh Circuit? I'd be surprised. I mean, it's pretty straightforward from a legal perspective, and I think Judge Pratt's uh, uh, decision is, is exactly that. I mean, she deconstructed the arguments and clearly ruled in the favor uh, of Exodus and the refugee resettlement program. So, uh, you know, when you go on appeal, it could happen, but I'd be surprised if, if it got uh, overturned on and appeal. The, and this is a precedent that, that uh, will have a bearing in other states. One would think, and I think uh, you do have other states where there is uh, active litigation uh, pending. This just happens to be, as I understand it, the first uh, ruling that a federal judge has issued, and one would think it would uh, it would affect the others. But again, the, the issue seems so clear-cut, uh, even to the layman here, that um, I would be surprised if in even the more conservative uh, uh, court of appeals and more conservative circuits would, would depart from what uh, Tanya Walton-Pratt has ruled here. So should the governor cut his losses? I think he's doing exactly what he should do, and that is continue to do, to try to protect the state. Uh, the FBI director said that they couldn't guarantee the, the vetting process, and uh, we've had breaches in the vetting process before in this country with refugees. And so as, until the federal government can prove that they don't have flaws in the vetting process, I don't blame the governor for trying to protect the state from the kind of thing that happened in Paris and other places. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, I don't think in this particular case, the courts, I agree with John as far as where this thing's going with the courts, but as far as protecting the state's concern, I think the government's doing exactly what it should do. This isn't about protecting the state. This sure is about is. Mike Pence's political ideological agenda, <laughs> and he's wasting state taxpayer money doing an appeal. I know he's never practiced law, but he's supposed to be a lawyer, and it is a clear-cut discrimination based on national origin, which is not permitted. So he ought to abandon it. And, you know, I mean, he went to war with the Catholic Church on this as well. People, nothing in life is, is guaranteed except maybe death and taxes. So, but they do go through an extensive vetting process, and they are in refugee camps for periods of years here. And from a humanitarian perspective, we need to do what we can do to ease the suffering. And all the, he is but, but doing really is advancing the, his political But the problem agenda. he got into here was that he was banning Syrian refugees and not other it's refugees. It's discrimination right. refugee based on program. national origin. Right. There's a refugee program in Indiana. There has been or continues right. to be. That's, but when the FBI director said they couldn't guarantee this that's, that's, with the vetting process, 31 you're states... You're distorting what he 30, said, Mike. No, that's exactly what he said. And you're making and it into more states, than it was. 31 states All with Republican governors, no, all not with all their political agendas. You're wrong about that. Too. One, but, I think, right? one Democratic governor. Wow. All right, moving on. Governor Pence said this week that he is still fighting to keep hundreds of jobs from leaving central Indiana. He met with leaders from the Carrier Corporation to discuss that company's plans to move operations to Mexico. Pence says company leaders told him they want to leave due to regulations from the U.S. Department of Energy. Workers here say they believe the company is leaving because they can pay the workers less in Mexico. After the meeting, the governor said Carrier will reimburse the state $382,000 for training grants. He says the company will also pay back 
tax breaks from Indianapolis, and the company will keep 400 research jobs in Indiana. But 2,100 manufacturing jobs are leaving. If there is any way uh, to save these jobs in the state of Indiana, we told the company that we're ready to partner with them, we're ready to work with them, we're ready to sit down to find a way to do that. John Schwannis, did that appear to be a productive meeting? Um, I guess you have to define uh, what productivity here. I mean, it's incumbent, I think, on the governor to, to make this effort to have this meeting. So th that is what one would expect of the state's chief executive, uh, especially one who has placed a premium on economic development and job growth. Uh, but even he, I think, is realistic coming out of it that, that uh, what can and cannot be accomplished here. And one thing I think that cannot be accomplished here is saving the bulk of those jobs. Forget regulatory issues. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. $3 an hour versus, what, upwards 20. of 20 It just, uh, uh, in this day and age, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, but I guess in terms of getting, securing a commitment to, to get the uh, tax incentives back, the training grants back. I think uh, that's that they they were they required that. to they do that. That was part of the, when they got them. That was part the, of the, the deal. You know, the right? interesting thing though, I would just say this: in terms of the governor and other elected officials in Indiana, probably can't because Carrier still has the 400, as you mentioned, Jim, R&D jobs. You can't really, you know, go after them with pitchforks and and uh, the torches uh, because they are those are good jobs and they are here. Uh, if you were an elected official yeah. representing the okay. state as a whole. What's the political fallout for Mike Pence, if any? Uh, well, I think that you'll see a lot of advertising around this when the campaign rhetoric heats up. And I think you'll see a lot of people who are blaming him for this. I think that that's probably hyperbolic. Uh, but uh, that's the nature of the business. When you tout all of the jobs that you've attracted to the state, when high-profile jobs leave, then, then you're going to be hit on that as well. So I think the governor will have to blunt that, and I'm sure he will when the campaign gets Yet going. In, in raw numbers, manufacturing jobs are up in Indiana. Yeah, but those are high-paying manufacturing jobs that we're losing, and he's trying to blame the regulatory scheme on it when the, uh, the officials a carrier told... Senator he's Donnelly. Not, not, the officials of Carrier put out a, a statement and saying they that told was the reason. Senator Donnelly that the that regulations the are the same if they're manufactured in Mexico and yeah. brought back they here. Put out a and release. what it is is the difference in pay. And part of it is, again, I go back to the notion that the Republicans in Congress have to fix <laughs> the tax code that allows money to be earned abroad and not taxed in this yeah. country. The by state, American companies. State Senate's now working on a resolution that expresses profound disappointment sure. in, I mean, you, in you, this move. To, I mean, you do that kind of thing because you're frustrated with this kind of announcement. But look, this company uh, moved those jobs, one, because of the regulation, 50 regulations by the Department of Energy in the last two years. It's just not true, Michael. Well, they put it out. That's what they said. Yeah, okay? and they also and said you that they're subject you to the same the, regulations. You know better than but, Carrier does well, why they're moving. Well, they told Senator Donnelly that they're, they're the same they regulations. Why they're moving. Right. They're they talking put out of a both statement. sides of their mouth. And they put out a statement just saying like Trump. this is what it was. <laughs> And so you, yeah. you know better than they do. No, I know what they said to Senator Donnelly. But it's, it, and this is a situation where, one, you've got a combination of things. Free trade agreements, which is part of this, right. which President Clinton was a champion of, uh, if we go back to that. 
taxes, uh, taxes which the Republicans taxes, are which is also champions part of. of. The, the cost of labor is a part of it. Suppliers are leaving to go to Mexico, which it. they have to compete down We should repeal down there. the minimum wage. Well, so it's that's one of those kinds do. of things. So that's probably the we next have 400 good job Repeal the right. minimum wage. All right, let's move on. David Long, President Pro Tem of the State Senate, has an idea for getting Indiana included in the presidential nominating process. Some of the campaign rallies we now see on TV every day might be conducted in Indiana if this state was part of a regional primary held earlier in the primary season. It would draw both the Democrat and Republican candidates to us. Sure, the Indiana May primary was the focus of intense campaigning in 2008, but that doesn't stop Kip Too, the chairman of the 2008 Obama campaign in Indiana, from advocating an earlier primary. It was the best experience, but it still would have been a great experience in March, I guess. The Secretary of State oversees elections, and a spokeswoman says there's no reason why voters can't vote for president in February or March and then come back again to vote in the remaining races in May. No, if the General Assembly chooses to change the law, there's no reason Indiana couldn't have two primaries. But not everyone agrees. Dan Parker, Hillary Clinton's point man in Indiana, is opposed to two primaries. I agree with the concept of wanting to participate in the presidential process and have high turnout. But you want high turnout for all the rest of your races as well. But Senator Long thinks the majority of voters are on his side, and he's already working toward 2020. You know, I've talked to leaders in Ohio, I've talked to them in Michigan, there's interest. He points out that most other states hold two primaries. And Delaney, will that ever happen? No. I mean, this is the same group that won't allow ex uh, voting hours to be extended to 8 o'clock because it costs too much, won't allow satellite voting because it costs too much. So instead we have a second statewide primary and spend millions of dollars to do it? No, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, what Senator Long is saying is that if we went to a second primary, we could do things like voting centers uh, instead of voting in every precinct. Yeah, well, you can reduce don't your party rules have an impact on that? I think what he was saying was we should have a Midwestern primary. That's that right. right. He wants an upper Midwest primary. Regional primary, which the problem with that is it's a lot more complicated than it sounds. Because even if you had a Midwestern primary, if it comes late, it's already decided before you get here. So unless you get the various regions. He'd like it to be in February. Let, let's suggest that you have four regional primaries in the country. Unless you get those regions to alternate them every four years, you're always going to be somewhere in that list. And if you're last all the time, you're never going to be part of the action right. before the nomination. We've been through this as a party. We looked at it over and over again a few years back. And it's very hard to do because you can't get the people in New Hampshire and Iowa to agree to move theirs and to be part of a regional situation. It's just difficult. Plus, then you add in the two primaries in the state. And I, I would have to agree that I think it's very expensive to do that, and I just don't see it happening. And don't you have party rules, too, that s specify which is held first and second and third? Yes, and, penalties, and that's part of the problem. penalties if you change And that's them? part of the problem. That's right. what yeah. I'm saying. You, you can go to caucuses, which some states have done. Then the parties bear the expense. You know, it would yeah, be... That's it would, not going to happen. It would, be, <laughs> it would be great to see... Indiana move up in the process. Heck, it'd be great to see Indiana be part before, of the before New Hampshire. Let's let's start that. We but, were, and we and it would be great for economic development. It would be great for uh, political junkies like us. But it's not going to happen. So we can have our pipe dreams, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, and given all of that, and the fact that you know 
the, the public is paying the cost, why don't we just go to the convention and let the parties choose and bear the cost, and then we'll have the uh, national election because it's got to produce at least as good a field as what we're seeing so far. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, kind of a mess. Uh, it's like a sixth-grade food fight. Well, and, and the process the may not side. even produce the ultimate nominees if uh, what we're hearing well, about be interesting if the Republican establishment. That. So. Yeah, that's uh, for another week. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, should taxpayers foot the bill for two Indiana primaries in presidential years? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or C, let the political parties do it. Last week's question, does Todd Young belong on the ballot? 23% said yes, 58% said no, 19% said a judge should decide. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. Finally, Ball State University got a big gift this week. The Charles Koch Foundation and the founder of Papa John's Pizza are pairing up to create the John H. Schnatter Institute for Entrepreneurship and Free Enterprise. Schnatter, the CEO of the pizza chain, is a Ball State graduate. The university is receiving a grant of more than $3 million. Mike McDaniel, what will that mean to Ball State? It's tremendous for Ball State. John Schnatter has been a an outstanding alum, and uh, this gift, combined with the Koch Foundation, uh, will make uh, what is already a nationally ranked entrepreneur program even stronger. So it's a great thing for Ball State. Is he trying to show up Pizza King? <laughs> he started making pizzas at Greek Pizza in Muncie, so that's where he learned his craft, that turned it into, <laughs> and moved it to his family business down in the New Albany area, and it, the rest is history. One of the most successful businessmen in America. You know, when he was at Ball State, a guy who lived in the dorm down from him designed the logo and a lot of the, the things that are still used with very minor modifications. He didn't, can't remember the guy's name. He knows he was from Chicago. He's trying to find him because he said yeah. he owes him at least $60,000 worth of pizza for his work. <laughs> but he's teamed up with the Koch brothers. What do you think? Look, you know, their money spends the same way as anyone else's, and at least it's finally for a productive reason. <laughs> That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.